and you're listening to Dream Infringement. Dream Infringement is made up of three friends, Bobby, Jennifer, and myself, Emily. We like to tell stories and play songs based on a weekly theme, and usually we like to keep things pretty lighthearted, but like most of the Rogue Valley, we find ourselves in the midst of a very sobering moment in Southern Oregon history. And so this week's theme is simply called The Fire. We're going to hear from our friend Ryan, whose home was lost in the recent Almeda fire, and we're going to hear from our other friend Aaron, whose home was lost in a fire a few years ago and has since gone through the process of rebuilding her home as well as her life. So please stick around for the next hour of Dream Infringement. Wildfires are unpredictable. The authors of the book Grass Fires, Fuel, Weather, and Fire Behavior indicate that the maximum speed of traveling wildfire is between 9 to 12.5 miles per hour. What do you do when a fast-moving wildfire is mere minutes away from your home, when those few minutes are all you have to flee from danger? Ryan is a millennial originally from California that volunteers his time teaching the Bible in Peru. Since the pandemic, he has been staying with his dad in a nice little mobile home park in Phoenix, Oregon. He was home when the Almeda fire began. Right off, probably around 8, 8 or 8.30, when I woke up, you could tell it's super windy. Like, <laughs> things are, you hear it outside, it almost sounds like thunder when it's rolling, rolling through the trees. And just looking outside, uh, the, the houses next to us, their uh, shingles are like flapping up, like <laughs> it looks like they're ready to blow off. So already it was a weird day, just from, from the wind, because of how strong it was, I... My little time up here in Oregon, I never seen the wind grow that that strong. Power was rolling in and out because of trees that were falling from the wind. Uh, our electricity gone out like two or three times that morning. Probably around eleven thirty is when we noticed the smoke from the fire, and then we're getting notices from some friends that were close to Ashland where it was starting. They were the closest to the fire, but because the wind was blowing north. They already they were south of the fire, so they didn't get any evacuation orders. They were on on alert. Little by little, we see the smoke moving closer and closer. But we're checking checking online, or I was checking online. Dad was out looking, checking on the fire, and we were checking news stations, but nothing. We didn't get any any big alerts. Only that there was a fire going on. And we didn't hear anything about it jumping the freeway. One thirty or two, uh, and that's when we started hearing from the friends in the on the Talon side that uh, Talon was starting to get evacuated and that uh, that uh, the fire had reached there. And so at that point, I knew, okay, the fire's on that side of the free on our side of the freeway now. But still, still couldn't really find any any big information on like evacuation orders or anything like that. So we still weren't quite sure what to do if we needed to start packing if it was. How, where, where we could hear sirens throughout the day, so we knew that the fire department was out, but still, no, no big notices on, on Phoenix and on where we were if we had a, if we were in the in the path in the path of the fire. I was checking online and we're checking on the for the local news news stations, but from what I could tell, it, just because of how how fast the winds were blowing, the fire was just going so fast that the they couldn't really give out any accurate uh, 
details because he was jumping around around three o'clock. The smoke uh, went from like being you could see it and going over the house to now it's like on a ground level. It's it's only it almost looks like it's fog kind of lowered, and so that's when we decided okay, maybe we should start packing because it, it, obviously it's it's here now. We were waiting to see if it was going to come up to us or because we had the the greenway. We were right on the edge of the greenway, so we weren't sure when if if it was going to get to that point. So at that point, yeah, we're like, okay, we'll start packing. Uh, just grab some clothes. Probably, I got it like maybe a week's worth. Dad just packed up uh, work clothes. And then as dad was packing, he looks outside his, his window, which faces the backyard, and he could see the flames over on the on our, our back neighbor's uh, house. And at that point, he was like, we got to go. And I hadn't, I hadn't quite, I didn't see that quite yet. So I didn't realize... Dad said he could see the fire, but I didn't realize how how close it was. So when I go out with my suitcase and I go you know, I go to the truck and I look in the backyard, yeah, the the flames were right on the right on our back neighbor's house. We knew if we wait any longer, yeah, maybe we maybe we have another five five ten minutes, but honestly, we we weren't quite sure. So at that point, I realized okay, now this is and now it's more it's really serious. So we we grabbed what we had and. Um, we threw in the truck and we left. And as we're leaving, that's when the, the, the police department entered in our, our mobile home park and we're, we're letting people know that they, they had to evacuate. And as we're leaving, there's still neighbors inside their houses. We leave, we leave the Greenway Village and, and as we're driving through Phoenix, that's when we realize how bad it really was. The fire had already passed that, our, our, our little mobile home park. And it was already at the the Blue Heron Park. It didn't just come to us. It had already passed us, and it was just coming. It was just going up towards north, towards the towards the mountains. We were in a lot more danger than we realized. the The fires were right there, right at the at the edge of the of the freeway. Houses that were uh, some of the businesses that were right there were already up in flames, and so it was just it was kind of shocking. Uh, but we everybody everybody's getting out. Yeah, as calmly as they could, and uh, they're letting people. People are letting other people in, so uh, people were able to get out safely. As we left, and uh, we weren't really sure. We were hoping maybe, maybe the fire, maybe the wind will change, and it will just come up to our house, come up to our back fence, and maybe it'll it'll skip that. So we weren't really sure what was going to happen. If we were going to have a place, we were just hoping, <laughs> optimistic that maybe it was just and come up today and, and move on. The manor that's up on the on the hill, they had a live feed from the camera there, and it was basically <laughs> the whole day. It was just a straight shot from. Uh, you could see the phoenix. It was all just lit up, and <laughs> it was still that like, oh man, I know that's where my house is. <laughs> I know that I I understand that's where the Greenway Village is, the Cellular Park right there. I know that's where my house is, but I'm still hoping that. Maybe it's still there. At first, it looked like it looked good. It looked like the um, the fire department was in. You could see the the water hoses uh, inside the in the center where a lot of the homes were. So it looked like maybe maybe they were gonna get it uh, stop uh, stop it at some points. But the wind picked up again, and at night everything was just lit up. It was just all orange out in that area. So at that point, we were gonna be, yeah. It was kind of like okay, the house is gone.
But the next morning when you when uh, pictures are coming up and they're showing other parts of the mobile home parks and yeah, everything was just leveled. It was it looked like a bomb had gone off. Nothing, nothing was standing. And at least in the mobile home parks, everything was just burned straight to the ground. Houses, uh, you'll because it was concrete, so it'll have the outer shell was still out, but every in, everything on the inside was just hollowed out. And so we're thinking, okay, more likely, yeah, that's gonna be how our house is. But still, because we didn't know, we were always having that whole maybe there's something left, maybe something stayed behind. It wasn't until a week after after the fire that we were uh, we were able to get back into the to check in. Um, it was kind of by accident, me just checking up on Facebook to how how we were able to get in. We heard that uh, over at the cellular park is where you park there. They'll take some information down, and then uh, based on where where your place was, if it was still if it was safe enough to go in. They'll let no. They'll they'll you'll have a police escort and and even then when you get to your place, the um, the police would still have to do, uh, just a quick run around just to make sure that it was still even safe to even get out of the car. Everybody while we we're there was super super friendly, super understanding. They had food for those who were waiting that or little little packages of snacks and all that. So, <laughs> uh, it was helpful in that regard and. They gave us some gift cards and stuff like that. We got the approval. We uh, followed the sheriff or the 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 our escort up to the up to the park, and then once we got to our mobile home park, he he let us go ahead of him so we could lead lead him to our place. And where our mobile home was, or where our park was, the the entrance five house like five or six homes mobile home parks were or mobile homes were spared. So one row was completely safe, but then you look over on the other side, just gone. And so we go up to our house and yeah, it's just melted. Everything except the the frame was gone. And the frame, it was just the, the bottom frame and then the <laughs> where the roof was. And so the roof had collapsed and uh, the the heat from the fire was so was so strong that it twisted the metal from the frame. So we understood why there was nothing left because that fire, was, it burned. It was burning hot. You could kind of make out uh, from memory, like from where we were, like where we would look and see like, okay, that's a fan. So that's the living room. That's the, you could, our, our kitchen table had a metal frame. So the metal frames survived. So we knew, okay, that's the table. So we were trying to like map, map out in our heads where stuff was. But because of the fire, things shifted a little bit as well. On the surface, there wasn't much left. Um, we couldn't, there's still, there's a bunch of nails, uh, the ash and everything. So we looked at it. At first we were thinking about trying to step in, but then we looked down and you see all these. Uh, I could see where my bed frame was and stuff like that. So on the surface, it's all pretty much ash. So we're waiting to to get the okay to when it's safe to actually go in and try to shift, uh, sift through uh, what's left. The washer, dryer, everything, everything metal was left. But anything else, it was just gone was that some friends in Peru, they had bought uh, some electronics and sent it to my house because it was cheaper because of the, the if they bought it in Peru, it could be a couple hundred dollars more down there than it would be up here. So my biggest concern was to grab all that, pack that first, uh, because that wasn't, that wasn't mine. That was stuff that they, they entrusted in me. So I would have I felt bad if, uh, if all that went up because that was their money in and 
that kind of money down there, it, it goes a long way. So for me, that was like, I want to grab that first. And so once I had that all situation situated, I was thinking, okay, now me first clothes and pack all my clothes. And at that point before that's when dad saw the flames. So once he saw the flames, it was like, oh, okay, what else do I need? And that was, and that was kind of like the, the panic mode. Like it was me kind of just looking around the room at first and what was in sight that was important. And so I, my laptop, everything that, that, uh, grabbed, grabbed that. Um, but there were things as I was leaving that I remembered. So it was, if it was because we saw the fire right there, it, it, it kind of just changed your whole aspect of like, Oh, it's here. And that's it. We, our time's up. Yeah. Even you don't even realize <laughs> you're on a timer until it's there. So, but one thing that I regret is that my passport. For me, in that regard, that's probably the most uh, valuable thing that I, I left behind. But on my dad's side, like, he lost everything. And I feel more bad for him. It was because it was just, as soon as we saw that, it was just gone. It was like, oh, we, ha we can't stay anymore. We really don't. We can't stay. And so for him, he lost everything. Pictures of his mom who just passed away a couple months ago. Things... Uh, that if we if we realized that how close it was, yeah, we would have grabbed it uh, a little. We would have we would have prepared a little bit better in that regard. But because once the flames hit, once we saw the flames right there at the house, it was kind of like okay, that's it. We 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 don't have the time like we we thought we had. On my dad's side, like he his biggest pain was like I wish, like we saw the smoke, we knew we knew that they was there. So on our part, we're thinking, why didn't we pack sooner? But at the same time, it's also, but we had no, we didn't really know how close it was. And so it's a mix, it makes emotions. It's partly we, that, that, like, yeah, we should have, we should have done this, but that's all hindsight 2020. It's just things that we lost. Yeah. We, we got out okay. And, and everything we lost, it's replaceable. Uh, I think for, more for my dad it's, getting, it's more the memory stuff for, about his mom that he, he missed and so that, that's I think for him that, that hurts the most for him if that ever happens again now I'm just gonna be safe than sorry just <laughs> pack everything that I can and, and just go with it and if, if we end up not having to move or leave great I just take it out of the suitcase mm -hmm. but yeah and my, I, I think yeah, maybe, maybe because it is still so fresh that's my, my mentality now be more mindful, I guess. But I mean, that comes down to that that fight or flight. When once, once it's there, it's like okay, take a deep breath and look around. Really look around, and but it's easier said than done. We still didn't know if the house was there. I mean, we had that idea. Okay, it's gone. It's probably gone. But there's like that back in your head. You're hoping maybe the fire passed us. Maybe it got up to there and the wind blew, or the fire department came and was able to fight it back. So we were still, it was still kind of like, we didn't know quite what to feel yet because of that. So in my part, I slept pretty good. <laughs> uh, it was actually, I, I, I think more because we knew we got out and, and we had a place to stay. And in my mind, it's, if I don't have to worry about it, I try not to worry about it. So that night I slept pretty good, woke up the next morning and just devouring any picture I could see any any Facebook uh, post of video videos of people driving through I was scouring looking and looking as they drove by certain 
certain places and seeing what the fire did is a slow realization that's gonna that's our house. Prepare myself, get the news that our house is gone. So now it's okay, now what do we do next? What's the next process? Working with the with FEMA, getting helping with the uh, any anything that financially we're able to get, uh, so or that will help us with the next prep. So now that's all. Like I said, in my regard, it may I mainly just lost clothes, so uh, I'm I wasn't too it wasn't too much of a hard hit. But for my dad, it's in this process a little bit. He's doing better now, but the initial the second fire in, in Central Point, we got separated. Dad went to work that day. Because for him, that's how, if he's at home and he's thinking that he gets it, it, his his thoughts weigh him down. So for him, going to work was him trying to process everything, not not to focus too much. But because he went to work, the, the fire pretty much, the when the fire started, the, the fire department cut off, blocked everybody from going, crossing over the that area. So we ended up getting separated. I went to Rogue River. He went up towards Ashland to stay with his brother. And he mentioned that night. That night, he it said he said it hit him, everything hit him because, yeah, like he he was separated from, from everybody, and he was just him and his thoughts. And honestly, for me, like the congregation, like as we're leave as we're leaving our mobile home park, I knew right away. Okay, we're heading up the ninety nine. Everything south is pretty much blocked off. So who can I call that we're heading to that, that we can stay? So. Two minutes in, I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call them because I knew they had a they had uh, the friends that I called had a had an extra place for in the, uh, like a guest house. So I called them. I let them know, and they said, "Yeah, come on down." From the Central Point fire, we got evacuated from that. So we ended up going. I went ended up going in North Rogue River with somebody I didn't know, but because the people I was staying, they knew them. So we ended up going going out there. And then after that, it was kind of like, I think the hardest hardest part. For my dad was the uncertainty where he was where he was staying, and for me because I was I've been in Peru for the last three years, so living out of my suitcase, living with just clothes, was I'm used to that. I'm used to jumping from place to place, but for my dad that was hard. And so for me, what helped us the most was the friends and family, just having place to go. Because I was thinking we had a place to go, we had friends, we had pretty much our own. Or our own little spot, and so that that sense of security, knowing that we did have a place, we did have a, a bed to go to at night, and where we are now in Gold Hill, like it's perfect. It's it's perfect for for Dad. Uh, he has his own room. It's it's a little trailer. We have our we have a kitchen. We have a bathroom, uh, and so for me, I'm I'm fine. I I sleep in the living room right now, and and so this is perfect. Like where we're at right now, it's. The the family that's hosting us, they're, oh man, they've gone above and beyond, <laughs> making sure that we feel comfortable, alleviating any any stress that, uh, or any discomfort that uh, we could have, and like they're, like they the first day we got there, like they understood like we were tired, and so they just said here, this is everything that we have right now, and it's yours, you guys just pack, unpack, we're gonna let you guys be. Let you guys just, because we know you guys are tired, and we'll talk in the morning. It was perfect for Dad to just go lay down in the bed and kind of just relax. And 
the next morning everything we just worked everything out and it's been and day by day it's been getting better and better we we have a more clear idea what's going to have how it's going to be like in the future that where we're at now it's temporary uh, but for now it's home the the congregation the friends uh it's just been a big relief a weight off your shoulder not having to worry about so much stuff right now and like I said, and, and I think that's what's helped us the most, the support from friends and family, people that we don't even know. The, my, the congregation down in Peru, uh, they, wanted, they, they, they heard what happened with us, and they wanted to help me. And they, already, they knew that if they sent me money, that the conversion wouldn't be as much as if it would be in Peru. So what they decided to do is basically... When I go to Peru, I'll, I'm gonna even have more clothes. It's more for me. For me, it's service clothes, meeting clothes. That's what I, what I out of all this, like that's what I could use the most. And basically now, Peru is basically just like don't worry about that now. If it doesn't sound like I'm worried or I'm stressed, or it's because of that. It's because of the friends and family. Like I know, I know, I know, in, in everything we're we're taking care of. And that's part of you know, my Christian love and. And I know every, and I know the community itself, Ashland, T uh, Talent, Phoenix, Medford, the community itself, they're opening up so much. They're helping uh, the people. I, we got accepted for a care package for like a $100 Fred Myers uh, gift card. My dad, um, his work, he gave him a bunch of uh, debit cards to help him with food and grocery and all that, with whatever bills he had to pay. And so the whole community has been just helping out and we're thankful for the friends and family that we have that the, even the ones that we didn't know we had <laughs> they just it's opened up their, their their homes their arms their love everything and it's just been incredible in that regard For about a week after the fires, there was heavy smoke that hung in the air, making it hard to breathe and hard to see. And recently, I heard someone say something about that smoke. They said that the smoke that filled the air was filled with particles of our friends' and family's lives floating in the air. It is heartbreaking. And it is heartbreaking, but after about that week of smoke, things started to clear and the smoke started to clear and you can actually see blue skies in the mountains and look at the areas that have been burned with clear eyes, see the scars on the earth. And I think that it's helpful when it comes to moving forward, when you can actually see what happened and see it in truth. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Dream Infringement on KSKQ 89.5 FM Ashland, Oregon and 94.1 FM Medford, Oregon. The Maslow Project is available to work with families who have lost their housing, trained to approach people with trauma and to provide informed care. Bilingual staff members are available to work with Spanish speakers, undocumented folks included. The Maslow Project is a case management and advocacy service helping to provide basic needs like food, clothing, toiletries, showers, laundry, and resource navigators. Their phone number is 541-608-6868. 
Maslow Project can walk you through all of the systems, emergency, safe shelter, education rights, options, state and federal funding, OHP, medical care, mental health care, employment, transportation, re-obtaining personal documentation, and talking to insurance companies. To connect to Maslow Project, call 541-608-6868. Hello, it's Jennifer here. So due to the fires that we've had this week, this month, the tremendous loss of homes and how many people have been evacuated and are displaced, it made me think about my longtime friend Erin. Because Erin's been through the experience of having everything change overnight and of losing her home to fire. For her, it's been almost nine years and she's had a chance to rebuild her home, rebuild her life. And I thought it might be a good idea to sit down and talk to her and to get her perspective so that we could share that with you. What it's like on the other side when you're having to start over after losing your home, all your possessions, and the emotions that she went through, some of the issues that she had with insurance and with lodging and all of those things together kind of... Well, it gave me a much better perspective on what other people are going through and then also the fact that sometimes there's even positives to be found, as you'll see with Erin's story. So I have my friend Erin here on a socially distanced interview. Do you remember anything about that night, like as you were getting ready for bed, like what was on your mind? And I remember quite a bit from, from that day up into the night. The house had been vacant for two weeks, and the um, previous tenants had just destroyed the property. They, they left trash everywhere. They had not. They had busted out parts of the walls and the garage and the um, house, and they broke windows. So it was a mess. Well, earlier that day, I remember seeing the the owner of the house and the property management on the property. So when I came home that night from work, I did notice that in the garage, there was this kind of eerie glow. And I thought to myself, I should check that out. And I thought, no, they probably just left the light on. I, you know, I go back home and I get ready for bed and go to bed and I sleep with earplugs and uh, eye mask and uh, I'm, I'm, was, I'm a really sound sleeper. And so You're I was like in full really- cocoon mode. <laughs> I am. I am. And I'm wrapped up in the blankies all tight, cuddling with the cats. And so I always am really amazed at what happened. So it was uh, at 2.30 in the morning. Mm. I just, I sat straight up from a dead sleep. I took my eye mask off and I took my earplugs out. And I paused for a moment because there was this like eerie orange glow coming through my red curtains through my bedroom window and this weird popping sound. And it took me a minute. I'm sitting there going, uh, is it seven o'clock in the morning? I haven't been asleep that that long. And it really felt to me like it was mm-hmm. seven o'clock in the morning. So I sat there. I mean, it, it felt longer than it probably was. And then this just like voice goes off in my head. And it says fire. And I stood up and I opened the curtains and I'm looking at. So my, my neighbors, um, their garage was where the point of origin of the fire was. And their garage was about probably five, six feet from my the back part of my house. And I looked out the window and I'm seeing these 13 foot flames 
coming off the back of their house and licking my house. So I thought to myself, I remember thinking to myself, well, I probably got a little time. And so I always kind of looked back at this and thought this was really dumb. I called 911 while I was still in the house. And lesson learned, if this ever happened again, get out of the house before you call 911. So I call 911. <laughs> and she's, um, and I tell her the house is on fire. And she's like, well, is your house on fire? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Let me go see. The house was being remodeled. So I was living in the back two rooms and there was this door in between the two rooms. So I, I checked the, you know, I was at least smart this way. I checked the metal doorknob to see if it was hot. It wasn't. I opened the door. Everything's fine. I shut the door. I go in and the back room had another door into the bathroom. Check that door. It wasn't hot. I opened, you know, keep in mind, I'm still on the phone with the dispatch. And so I opened the door and there are just flames coming right at me. And I um, shut the door and I run into the other room and I said, yes, my house is on fire. I ran upstairs and I grabbed the cat carriers and I ran back downstairs. And I was really fortunate because when I shut that door, it forced the fire up higher and it hit an air pocket in the, in the attic. And it just torched the entire attic within seconds of me grabbing those cat carriers and running downstairs. And I didn't grab all the cat carriers. In fact, we found one later after the fire was put out that was melted, you know, like a beautiful oh. abstract art piece. So I, I get into the room. I have three cats. And so I found two of them and I stuffed them into the carriers. And by this point, I'd, I'd grabbed my purse and I couldn't find my third cat. And, I'll, I, and in my brain, all I remember hearing was go faster, go faster, get out, get out. And then I was like, where's my cat? And of course, this all felt like it took forever, but it was actually not very long. I didn't find her. I opened the door again. And this time there was just smoke billowing and fire billowing. And so I shut the door and I turned around and she was in the corner of my bed, huddled up against the wall in between my bed and my nightstand. And I grabbed her and I started to put her into the um, cage. She freaked out on me. She started just biting and tearing into my thumb. So my thumb is bleeding everywhere. And I'm freaking out, thinking into myself, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to get, you know, leave my cat. And then it was so amazing. There was just this, like, rush of power and from the adrenaline. And I grabbed the scrub of her neck. I overpowered her and I stuffed her into the carrier they're very very strong when they don't want to go into a carrier oh like, my I goodness that. Like, yeah and she was stuck in this big carrier with the other cat now the other cat was smaller so they're crammed in this carrier and then I so I've got one carrier under my arm I grab the other carrier and the handle breaks because it was too heavy all the while not even dawning on me that there could be emergency personnel out there that could you know come in and help me with my cats but of course, I wasn't thinking that. So then again, the adrenaline kicked in and somehow I picked up that uh, that case with two cats in one arm and the other cat in the other arm. As I'm running out the through the hallway into the other part of the house, I'm now hearing people banging on the doors and they're banging and banging. And they're like, get out, get out. And I'm like, I'm coming. Did you say I'm coming? Yes, I did. In a very <laughs> sing-songy light, like nothing's wrong. <laughs> so as I reach my my back door, a policeman somehow got the door open. He opened the door and he was coming in. I was going out and there was two firemen coming in. And they're like, where's the keys to your car? I had them in my hand and I tossed them to the, uh, 
firemen. And because they needed to move my cars, my car wouldn't blow up. I just beelined it. I ran two blocks down the road with those cats in my arms. So I collapsed (laughs) on the ground, you know, blood's gushing from my thumb. And I had been doing a lot of work emotionally. I had been always a real stifled emotional person. And I had been working on, you know, feeling my emotions. And I had read the study that there was in Chicago, these people that were damaged by fire. And the ones that fell apart were the ones that healed quicker. And I and I do sharing that because it was, I think, good advice, especially mm. when uh, you are prone to PTSD and stuff, is to to just let yourself feel. And so... And I'm looking, watching these, you know, at this point, huge flames coming out the top of my house, all these firemen mm-hmm. running in and I collapse to the ground and I just start bawling. And this, this cop, you know, pretty cute cop, you know, comes sauntering <laughs> up to me and he's like, are you okay? Saunter- well, <laughs> I'm sure he wasn't sauntering, but in my memory, you know, he walks up to me and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'll be fine. Just let me get it out. <laughs> He's like hysterical, but calm. I'm confused. (laughs) So at this point, there's an ambulance there, you know, to check me out. And I did, I did have some smoke inhalation. I was pretty raspy and sore. And then of course, my thumb was just swollen by this time. And so she cleaned it up, had to rinse it out and and fix it. It's probably about maybe 2.45, 3 o'clock maybe 3.30 by the time I got in the car, it's, you know, the adrenaline was calming down. And I, and I'd been, of course I couldn't call my parents because my parents live way up in the mountains and off the grid. And my sister lived up on the other side of town while she keeps her phone off. So I tried calling her. One of the officers went up to my sister's house and woke them up and of course freaked them out. <laughs> so then I went up to their house. This is a lesson, um, I sleep nude, and I don't know if that's appropriate to say, but it's important because to be prepared. A lot of people do. Okay. But what I did have that I didn't realize was an asset was I had had a little dressing tree, and I always had clothes that I uh, in pajamas on that tree, and I put my purse on that tree, so it was very easily accessible right by the bed. And so when I got up, all I had to do was throw on a dress that I had and a little flannel shirt that I had and grab my purse. And so that's one thing that I've carried on is I have always made sure that my purse, um, that some to-go stuff is really easily accessible so if I'm running out the door I can just grab and you know don't have to run out in a sheet (laughs) Um, so I recommend that to people to think about that and to have a little bit of a plan you know have something there but the other thing that I had was back in my younger days when I used to go out of town I had always kept clothes in the car and a rain jacket Mm -hmm. and just some stuff in the car turned out to be a really big asset and comforting to have some just a few things that were that were mine, that were um, something I was used to, that did bring me some comfort. So I recommend that too for people is to, you know, not just have a go bag of emergency kit in your car, but, you know, have a change Mm -hmm. of clothes just in there all the time. Cause you never know when you're going to have to get out of Dodge. (laughs) I get up to my sister's house and we went to Walmart at five in the morning and then we came back to her house and I, I tried to sleep, but I couldn't, of course, the adrenaline Mm -hmm. was still going crazy. It was seven o'clock in the morning at that point, And I called my house insurance. And mm-hmm. so that's another thing that I recommend to people is as soon as you're settled, call the insurance and make a claim. We had the adjuster out there by nine o'clock. This is a lesson that we learned. So there mm-hmm. are contractor companies that their sole source of income is doing 
disaster rebuilds from fires and floods. One thing that we didn't know is that you can choose your own contractor. You don't have to go with the contractor that's used to dealing with the insurance. But at the time, you know, we didn't know this stuff. And so the contractor was there and he was like, I know how to deal with the insurance. You know, we can just take take care of things. For us, it wasn't the right thing. We, we would have probably done better, you know, hiring our own. You can shop around. Like it doesn't always seem like that's an option, but it is an option. Yes, exactly. You okay. can shop around and I recommend it. One of the things that happened was they had so many jobs at that point that they really couldn't turn attention to ours. And it took months before they started. And what they did was they mm-hmm. tore the roof off in December and it we had a massive downpour and they didn't cover the top of the house because I had no I had no lid on my house. And so the water damage caused even more damage to the house that could have been prevented. So the attic was completely gone. There was a lot of smoke and fire damage done to the bottom part of the house. So the back two rooms had lath and plaster and everything. Those were pretty much destroyed. The rest of the house was down to the studs. And so there was a lot of smoke damage and just a little bit of fire damage that had to be fixed. So there's also these recoverage recoverage companies that come in and you can hire them to go through all belongings and they have to catalog them for the insurance. Mm. There was some stuff that was salvageable, but because I am so sensitive and even though their cleaning products are supposed to be natural, we still wound up having to um, consider a lot of things that were salvageable as damaged because I could not handle, for instance, all my plastic wear in my kitchen was in cupboards and it had severe smoke damage and they cleaned it up with their special cleaning stuff. But as soon as I put that stuff in my dishwasher, it released smoke and I could smell it. And when I would open the dishwasher, I could smell smoke. Then there's a cleaning copy company that cleans all the, the soft goods. And so they returned a bunch of my blankets and sheets and towels. But every time I stuck them in the water and the dryer, soot would be just caked into my dryer. And so not that great of an experience. Right. Yeah. Because you're better off just starting over. Yeah, and that, because of the extensive fire damage, it was, for us, it would have been better to start over. And then, on top of it, the other discouraging thing, there was a closet that managed to all the clothes and the shoes that survived the fire and clothes that I had designed and made myself. I was there when they were pulling them out, and I was so happy that they survived. And then when I got all my stuff back from the company, the cleaning company, they weren't there. And I had to, you know, I had to file an extra claim and I had, you know, I had to bug them and they're like, oh, we never cataloged this stuff. And it felt like they gaslit me and, oh, no one would steal from us. We don't know who would have done it. That was kind of devastating to me. So going back to some of the positive stuff is I called in the, and made my claim. And by that evening, mm-hmm. the insurance had me in this very nice hotel with my cats. So I was in that place for two weeks before the insurance got me into a very nice three bedroom, two bath house. So that morning you're like calling, arranging everything, but like, what are some of like the feelings that were coming up for you? At that point in my life, there wasn't a lot of feelings. I I was still pretty new to getting in touch with my feelings. So I was just in taking care of business mode. I didn't feel anything until I think it was my first night I stayed in the hotel. And then the next morning they have these free breakfasts and there was this big, beautiful fireplace. And of course the fire Mm. going. And I 
sat down in front of that at first to enjoy the warmth. And then I had a PTSD attack. I remember freaking out. And I remember forcing myself to stare at the flames because I was so terrified. It was shortly after that that I set up to get some therapy. At that point, then the next following weeks, not only was I still working, but Mm -hmm. I had to deal constantly with insurance stuff, constantly with the cleaning and, and trying to salvage what you know what was left and but overall like people were wonderful I remember sitting in a uh, in a restaurant yeah she was more an acquaintance because we didn't really know each other we knew of each other but not really mm-hmm. socially hang out and she um saw me and she came up and we were talking so I told her what was going on and so then she goes back to her table and then when they got up to leave she walks over and she she whispers in my ear and I don't remember what she whispered she slips her hand in mine and she put something in my hand and she left and I opened my hand it was a hundred dollar bill and I thought that was so sweet and it did help a great deal and then I had another friend from Tennessee he sent me a card and he sent me a hundred bucks and he's like buy a nice pair of shoes and and those little things were nice little treats from people and it was comforting and um when we talked before you said that you had found out the I guess suspected cause of the, the fire and like what was that and what was your feelings over that so it it took them several months of an an investigation they claimed that it was arson probably caused by some transient i felt a lot of anger over that because Mm -hmm. i was so i had already been building a lot of resentment towards the property management place because the tenants that they would get in there just would always trash the place and then and the last tenants were the worst. And I would call them and call them and complain. And they would never do anything. It was just so coincidental that it was the day that the owner and the property management were out there. And the fire starts. They're saying the arson had to have been some some transient. I just, mm-hmm. I, I have my conspiracy theories about, you know, the cause of the fire. And so I still right. get a little messed up by it. And because the owner and the property management got off scot-free. You know, even if they hadn't started the fire, the property was, there's trash everywhere. And it took them two, you know, two weeks before they even came out and assessed. And they got off scot-free and he got to sell his property and make a bundle off of it and get his insurance claim. And so I, and yet our house just got, you know, creamed. So how long did it take from like the fire until you were able to actually go back? Um, so it was, the fire was November 20th of 2011. My first night back home in my completed house was, I think around October 25th. So it almost took a year. And in fact, it took the contracting company way too long. And again, I, I might be being too demanding because they just had too many jobs going. They, they promised us they were going to get the house done in like three months months and then you know it took a year so there was the incident with the water them not properly covering the house and then the water damage mm-hmm. shortly thereafter one of the workers left the garage door unlocked and some transients went in there was sleeping and they stole stuff out of our garage because they didn't bother and so there was a lot of stresses throughout the months with that and it would go weeks without anybody on the property working I think the longest it went was six weeks before anybody came back and did any work on the house. So the contractor is supposed to update the insurance with their estimates, estimates of finishing of when they're going to finish. And so they moved me out of the house that I was renting and moved me back into the hotel. 
I wound up living in that hotel for another five and a half weeks because the contractor kept pushing out the finish date. And so that was really irritating. That cut into the money that I would have got back from my policy for myself to rebuild. So the very like first night that you got to be in your home again, like was that very weird or emotional or because I mean, it's like the same, but it wasn't the same. They rebuilt it, kind of. Yeah, um, because as soon as you said that, I remembered my first time I had come over for the first time after the fire. I thought I was going to be fine, not have any emotional things. And then I started to walk into my back bedroom and I, f- I stopped. I froze. I couldn't go in there. And so my boyfriend mm-hmm. at the time was with me and he kind of pushed me in. <laughs> um, but as yeah. for my first night back, I remember I wanted to custom paint my molding. So I had been in the house for the last two weeks. You know, my chronic fatigue was really bad. And so was my fibromyalgia. And I really wore myself out. And so I remember the pain and the frustration. It was hot. It was September. And then the first night, I had bought myself some very nice, a nice bedding arrangement. And I had decorated my bedroom with and I bought all of this stuff while I was living in the rental house to get ready. So I had a really nice bedroom. It was decorated. And, you know, keep in mind that that I had been living, you know, in two old back rooms and, a, you know, down to the studs for 10 years. So for mm-hmm. me, I was actually pretty elated because as much as all of this went down, I was always grateful because I got a finished house. One, one thing that happens a lot of times is... A lot of people just let the contractor do their job, but you know, I'm a control freak. So I actually got to pick out my lighting fixtures and my lights. I got to pick my own paint out. I got to really customize a lot of things. And so that was exciting for me when I got to come home because the house really felt personal in a way that had never felt before. And I don't recall any PTSD because I had already done a lot of therapy um, so I don't recall any nightmares. I don't recall any nervousness. So I think I did really, really well coming back home. And I was just so excited to be back home and start my life again, you know, because I felt like life was kind of on hold. That was like, I got to start my life again. Yeah. What are some of like the things that you lost that you miss the most? I'm assuming, assuming like some pictures and there were a few pictures that did get lost. A lot of my pictures, fortunately, did not get damaged. They were in a rubber made upstairs. And it the fire melted the plastic around the pictures, but they were able to crack it open and get all the pictures out. And there was some artwork and some pictures in my bathroom that got smoke and fire damage, but they did kind of recover them. And so really, um, it was mainly my shoes and clothes. That was really tough. Like it was upsetting the clothes that I designed, like there was this beautiful Victorian dress. It was the first project that I'd ever done. And I made that dress when I was 14 years old. I I drafted all the patterns myself. I mean, it was like truly from scratch. And so that got burnt up in the fire. And so that was a little disheartening to lose that. There were several dresses that I loved that I had designed and made that were destroyed. Mm-hmm. There was a ton of jewelry that I had made that was destroyed. And that that stuff was hard. It was the stuff that I had created myself or my sister. There was a few things my sister had made for me. Um, and so that was tough. But for the most part, it was just exciting because I got to buy more clothes. I mean, I got pretty much new everything. So I was kind of like, woohoo! Yeah. 
did you feel like triggered with like all the fires and everything that's happening? Has that brought back some feelings or does this feel like very different than, cause you, it was, yeah, you were great. in the, was it a level one or a level two area? Um, um, at, on Tuesday, by Tuesday evening, I was in level two. I was working out in the yard and saw the smoke. And then I came in and got finished with my project and was, you know, trying to figure out where the smoke was coming from. And then I got a text of all of Jackson County was level one. And so get prepared to leave. And then within five minutes, he wrote me back. He's like, you guys are now level two. He's like, um, just get out. I'm a caregiver for two developmentally disabled adults. And I had one adult with me and, and I had in my mind, oh my gosh, am I, Will I even be able to take her home? Well, I have to evacuate with her. And that was not something I was <laughs> looking forward to. I mean, I could have done it. I would have done it, but it would, yeah. would have been even more stressful, more than I could probably handle. But I just zoomed and I stuffed my cats all, you know, and now I have five cats instead of three. So this is the other stress of that day. So Tuesday morning, I had gotten up early to take my Siamese to the vet and I got very bad news. Most of my emotions that day were revolving around my little kitty because we had learned, um, I was told that he had heart disease and so that he had to be hospitalized that night and he had to stay the night. And so I was still just wrecked over that. And so when I'm learning about the evacuation and then I hear that he also Eagle Point has a fire and all I could think was my kitty. And I was frantically trying to call the vet, but it was past closing. That was what was me mainly on my mind and I was very stressed out over and the fires I'm just like oh big deal <laughs> that was horrible that's not how I you know I don't discount no. what people have lost no, I it think was... what we learned what we learned from this is that you're a very devoted cat owner because like <laughs> they were the first on your mind through both of these situations so yeah yeah you're right that's true and, and you know they mean they're my life they're my world and you know that was the first thing I packed up cat out <laughs> say that you're not a um, crazy cat lady you inherited two cats from your sister and a cat from your parents as well yeah so but yeah I had never planned on having five cats and in fact it's a little too many especially in a situation (laughs) like this um so anyway I got the cat cats all in the car and then I grabbed what I everything I could and I I discerned that I had some time so I was able to be generous Mm -hmm. with what I got I discerned that I had enough time to take Teresa to her house. So I dropped her off and I was trying to make phone calls again. So all afternoon I couldn't call out, but people could call me. And so that added to my stress and my worry and my freak out. Then I got on the road and I went out to uh, my friends out in Rouge to stay with them for the night. And, and one thing that I really appreciate about all this is that, as I heard you say, it's helping you mainstream your process. Like I've, this has helped me figure out even more what's the most important things, you know, but I've been kind of dilly dallying, getting all of it together. So this has helped me really streamline what I'm going to have in the car all the time. So yeah, the anxiety continued through the evening because like I said, I my main worry if my house burnt, I was like, I've got good insurance and I'm safe. And my worry was my cat. And so I, I really fretted throughout the night and then I got up, you know, you know how mornings are really hard for me. Well, I was so worried that I woke up and I couldn't sleep. So, which worked because at seven o'clock I called, you know, I called the vet and I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> Do you feel like you learned any kind of lesson or a different outlook on like life or possessions? I mean, yeah, there was a lot of little things I think I learned, like, you know, how to deal with insurance and that kind of stuff. I think one of the biggest things that I learned 
was that I can lose all my possessions and I'll be fine. And unfortunately, I seem to collect a lot of possessions. <laughs> I I <laughs> thought that I would, you know, live simply after, mm-hmm. and I still have so much stuff. You've managed to attain your former glory. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'm like, how did I do that? Um, one thing that's changed is I would like to sew, but I just have a hard time now since that fire because I lost so many of my designs and I found it harder for me to make jewelry and harder for me to want to sew. And, you know, I one thing, and like, again, I don't know if this is a lesson, but I lost a lot of my desire to go buy expensive clothes and fancy shoes. I now don't mind spending less money on clothes because, you know, I had just built such a fancy wardrobe and then it was gone. I just kind of lost the desire for that. I don't think I get that attached to to things. You know, my thing that I get attached to is my cats and I would be devastated if something happened to them. Everything else, I'm just like, meh. The last question that I had on my list was, so if this happened to someone that you knew, like one of your friends, what would you want to do for them that you think would be comforting? Like, that's a great question. So I really suck at practical stuff. Like, giving someone money or making sure they got laundry detergent or bringing them food or meal. I really stink at that kind of stuff. Things that I feel that I bring to the table is emotional support, giving the being there to be the shoulder to cry on. And then also sharing my experiences to hopefully help them with theirs. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm detecting PTSD, encouraging them helping them identify that as, look, this is PTSD and this is what I did to help me. I, you know, and don't get me wrong. I appreciated the practical help that everyone gave me. And I wish I could be the type of person that was good at that, but I am not. To me, it it sounds like when you were able to talk to people and kind of tell what had happened to you, it maybe helped validate the experience as well. Or I don't know, it's easier, I, I feel like, to cope with things if you get comfortable being able to discuss them. Yeah, I like that. I, th- I I agree with you. I think there was a lot of that. And it was also just a witness, you know, a witness to my life, you know, being single mm-hmm. and going through that by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no witness. There was no one there sharing the experience with me other than my cats, you know, and there's a, a saying in this movie that I really liked. And, um, It was, I think it's Shall We Dance? I think that's the one. Richard Gere and his wife, Susan Sarandon, there's a scene of them in, um, I think they're in a bar or something, and they're talking about their their marriage that's on the rocks or something. And she talks about, you know, that when you get married, you have a witness to your life. You have somebody else to witness your life. And that always resonated with me. It seems like you did weather everything incredibly well. Like, I thought it would be more emotional for you, like when you lost your house and you lost possessions and things. And that seemed, didn't seem to be the thing that was the hardest thing for you to deal with. Sometimes we think like that's the worst thing that could, one of the worst things that could happen to us. And it was like, no, you went through it and you were, you found some really good positives. Maybe some of those possessions even were kind of holding you down or holding you back. And so now it was like kind of a, a fresh start in a way that, like yeah I I do remember feeling a fresh start like the sense of fresh start and I like Mm -hmm. that and I also I lost (laughs) everything and I could do it 
and yeah. I'm going to be okay. So I remember mm-hmm. feeling that a lot. Thank you so much for going over like your experience and sharing kind of what you went through, like the practical and the emotional part of it. I know everyone's experience is different, but it gives me a lot of insight maybe into what other people are experiencing, insight into what the process to rebuild is going to be like. And it's also just positive to know that this is something that happened to you and you were able to like recover and bounce back, you know, maybe even better than before. And (laughs) that's always good to hear because you're not like, I lost everything in the fire and my life is over. But it was like, no, these were these were some ways to move forward. And so hopefully other people find that helpful as well. And I think they will. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you for having me. And if I could just finish with saying that, Mm -hmm. you know, don't neglect your mental health. PTSD is real. It affects you. Any trauma that you go through, you're going to have something like this. So don't be afraid to get help. All right, so we want to sincerely thank our friends Ryan and Aaron for sharing their stories with us tonight. And we want to leave you with this little quote from a book called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. What do we do when our hearts hurt? Asked the boy. We wrap them with friendship, share tears and time, till they wake hopeful and happy again. So until next week, thanks so much for joining us, and goodbye. Goodbye.